together as the deacons continue to collect the last few rows of the offering. You can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 128 as we continue our ongoing series through what we call the Psalms of Ascent. Lord willing, after today we will have six psalms left in this series. And these are songs for sojourners, these are prayers for pilgrims, and what we have before us are six verses that speak on very similar themes that we noticed last week in Psalm 127. So let me read our text for us, and then I pray that God would bless our study, and we will continue together. So listen now as God does speak to you through His perfect Word. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, and your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall be the man who is blessed, who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. And may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray once again. Our Father, we do thank you that you are a God who is gracious and generous, that you are merciful, that you are mighty, and that you speak to us your word that is living and active, Word that you have breathed out for our instruction, for our correction, for our training in righteousness, that we might be fully equipped to serve and advance your kingdom and gospel. And we pray that you would do that this day, that this word that you speak to us would not return void, that it would accomplish the purpose of building us up in Jesus Christ, of bringing us to repentance and faith. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Enshrined in our nation's Declaration of Independence is a uh, three-phrase volley of what the writers called unalienable rights. And students, you probably know what they are. It's life, it's liberty, and it's the pursuit of happiness. Now, what you may not know is that Thomas Jefferson put in that last clause, the pursuit of happiness, at the behest of Benjamin Franklin. It was actually going to be something else in an original draft, and it's the pursuit of happiness that stretches way back in philosophical reflection, way back, back to men like Aristotle and even beyond that, which would talk about happiness as a, as a proper condition to the human life. Certainly, it's a proper condition to which all people properly aspire, and still today, it's true that, that many people, if they just spend a moment to reflect and meditate, much of their life is lived in the pursuit of Happiness. Now, it was in 2005 when Tom Brady, as a quarterback, 27 years old at that time, fresh off winning his third Super Bowl, sat before the television program 60 Minutes to deliver an interview and something of a conversation about his altogether successful and captivating life in that moment. And somewhere along the way in the interview, the interviewer asked him what he had learned about this rapid success that had come upon his life, and he said this, I quote, I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me? I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. And maybe four more Super Bowl titles later, it's all what it's cracked up to be. But I highly doubt it. 
Uh, Certainly, what our text wants you to understand today is not just that if you're pursuing happiness in the ways of the world, that there's doubt you would ever achieve it. It actually outright denies that you would ever find it. Because if you notice again, Psalm 128, it's simply a text about the pursuit of happiness. It's about the good life. It's about the blessed life. And it tells us that blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. That's the masthead thesis that belongs to this passage. It's going to tell you along the way that happiness, however it may seem, is not found in sports success. It's not found in fantastic fame. It's not found in wondrous wealth. It's not found in personal pleasures, power, or prosperity. What it's found in is God and God alone. So kids, when you see something like a text like this, what you have before you is a spiritual secret that the Bible's unfolding for your very heart's attention this day. The secret to a happy life is fearing God. That's the theme of the passage. And perhaps not just some of you kids, maybe even some of you adults think, really? That's it? Fearing God is the secret to blessedness? Well, what you're going to want to see along the way today is just the degree to which God's blessedness is indeed what fuels a happy life. Some of you have been striving for happiness for years. I imagine some of you have been striving for blessedness for decades. And you feel as though you've never actually grabbed it. You can't grasp it. Well, maybe you're grasping and grabbing in the wrong places. Or maybe you feel as though today you're actually a happy person. A blessed person. But you're not building your happiness and blessedness on this foundation of fearing God. And so what this text is going to tell you that you built your happiness and blessedness on a Foundation that's cracked at its core. And sometime, maybe sometime soon, that happiness and blessedness will come crumbling down because it's not built upon the Lord and His Son, Jesus Christ. So the blessings that belong to fearing God, that's the theme. And I want you to see, first of all, in verse 1, the blessed life, and then verse 2 and 3, the blessed home, and then in the final three verses, the blessed future. So the blessed life, again, notice verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Now, it's important, if you weren't with us last week, to recognize that Psalm 128 has has a unique attachment and connection to what we studied last week in chapter 127. If you glance back up, you'll notice in verse 5 of Psalm 127, it speaks about the man being blessed whose quiver is full of children. So this idea of a blessed home life, what Solomon talked about last week as, as wise home building, it's a theme that just continues naturally into our text today, but it's broadening it out in important ways, because it's not just saying blessed is the man who has lots of children. Verse 1, chapter 28, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. And you need to realize that there are two key words in verse 1 that we have to understand rightly if we're to understand what the Bible is telling us here. The first word is blessed. Because you might know that the way in which we in the Western world today use this word of blessing, it falls far short of what the Bible means by blessing. Because it's probably true that the vast majority of you in here in the room today have received a blessing this week. Someone said, bless you, after air came out of your nose and your mouth (laughs) when you sneezed, as though that is something of a blessing. But of course, the biblical idea of blessedness, it's much deeper, it's much richer, it's much fuller in scope. It actually connects the Bible together in a way that maybe you haven't seen before. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creates all things, and He blesses His creation. Revelation chapter 22, 
God has now recreated all things and he blesses his people. So from beginning to end, the Bible is a story about God blessing his people. It's why in Genesis chapter 12, when he creates and cuts this everlasting covenant with Abraham, he says in chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, that I will bless you and make you a great nation. You will be a blessing to all peoples of the earth. And so, of course, the true son and seed of Abraham is Jesus Christ. And when he comes, he's preaching on a mountain, Matthew chapter 5. He's talking about the good life, the life of the kingdom, the life that belongs to his true followers and disciples. What does it begin with but blessing and beatitudes? But, of course, blessing and beatitudes that completely turn upside down what the world values by way of happiness and blessedness, what the world understands to be true about the good life. And so it's not surprising then when Jesus Christ, he is raised from the dead, when he appears with his disciples, what does he consistently proclaim to them but benediction and blessing? Peace be to you. So blessing really is God's favor that fuels happiness. That's maybe a simple way to understand it. It's God's favor that fuels happiness, and it's God's favor that fuels happiness to those who fear him. Because the second key word you have to understand is the word fear. And fear in Scripture is one of the central themes from beginning to end in the same way that blessing is. Professor John Murray once said that a fear of God is the soul of godliness. Here, according to Psalm 128, it's the secret of blessedness. It's central and integral to the Christian life, but it's altogether often misunderstood I mean, you might have heard it said before that trying to describe and even define fear of God, that it's something like reverence and awe before the Lord. That's true to a degree. It's not wrong, but it certainly actually doesn't capture the truth of Scripture adequately and and fully enough. Maybe a, a better phrase to help further illustrate and elaborate what it means to fear God. It's trembling excitement. It's terrified joy. And maybe a way that I can illustrate that is by something that happened in our house yesterday. You know, it's bitterly cold for us Texans. We dare not venture outside when weather like yesterday hits. And so we were inside all day, and the kids often have a degree of cabin fever by the end of the day. You know, they haven't been outside to run around and get the energy out. And so our two younger ones, for example, were just needing, you know, some good energy out. And so there's a game that sometimes we'll play where I'll take the younger children, only younger ones because I'm strong enough to do only the younger ones, and I basically throw them across the room onto the couch. Now, some of you dads know this might sound crazy, but it's really pretty easy. You just take the child and chuck them onto the pillows and the cushions. And if you've ever done something like that before or thrown a child up into the air, what you see, a flash across their face, is fear, don't you? Like you release them and there's this gasp. Because <gasps> you don't know if you're going to make it. And then what do you do? You hit the pillows and the cushions. The fear becomes what? A smile. And then a statement comes, Daddy, do it again. <laughs> right? But isn't it a good example of this terrifying joy, this trembling excitement, this fearful attraction? That's what the Bible's after when it means fearing God. You should really be terrified of Him. But it's a terror that actually only leads to deeper love, affection, joy, delight, goodness, coming to Him again. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. So if asked today to describe someone who is a God-fearing man or woman, a God-fearing boy or girl, I wonder what words you might use. You might say, well, such a person would demonstrate that fear with, perhaps you might say something like solemnity or, or dignity or, or gravity. Well, what the Bible says over and over 
proves someone's fear of God is obedience. If we look at the end of verse 1, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. Old Testament scholars refer to a psalm like this as a wisdom psalm. It's not surprising then that a wisdom psalm uses this metaphor that wisdom literature and scripture often use, which is this metaphor of walking. It's this metaphor of walking in wisdom, which is why the beginning of the Psalter in its entirety, the very first verse of the first psalm says, Blessed is the man who doesn't sit and walk in the counsel of the wicked. That's why even Jesus Christ, when he wants to speak about the nature of salvation as as one being narrow, he talks about walking on the path of salvation through uh, the narrow gate. Walking in God's ways is simply meaning the reverence that fuels obedience. It's walking according to His commands, to His laws, to His words. It reminds us, doesn't it, that there are only two paths that any human could ever be on. You can be on the path of wisdom, or you can be on the path of foolishness. You can be on the highway to heaven, or you can be on the highway to hell. You can live on the roadway of obedience, or you can live on the roadway of disobedience. And therefore, for those who have come to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance, life in Christ means union and communion with Jesus Christ, which is why the New Testament continues this idea of walking. Romans chapter 6, verse 4 says that we've been baptized in Jesus Christ that we might walk in the newness of life. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7 says we walk by faith, not by sight. Ephesians 5, 2 says walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. What path do you walk on? In your ordinary life? Is it obedience that reveals your fear of God? Or is it disobedience that reveals your disregard for God? The blessed life belongs to those who fear Him, who walk in His ways. Notice now verse 2 and 3. The blessed home. The blessed home. Again, if you weren't with us last week, what you need to know from Psalm 127, it was talking about a godly home in two key areas. The life of work and the life of, of home building, and that actually comes again as the psalmist now speaks of this blessed fruitfulness that belongs to fruitful labor and a fruitful home. You notice labor shows up, verse 2, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. Now, if you, you see this rightly, you see it's almost as though what God is assuring to his people who fear him is a reverse of the curse. This is in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve fell into sin. It was in Genesis chapter 3 that God... God spoke words of judgment against the man and the woman and the serpent. It's in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam heard words, Cursed is the ground because of you. Labor and toil will now belong to your life and you will produce thistles and thorns. But here is an assurance, isn't it? A kindness of our gracious God that what you're not going to produce ultimately is thorns and thistles. But for those who fear God, they will enjoy the fruit of the labor of their hands, his promise of daily provision, the daily bread that he gives to his people. Fruitful labor is a blessing of those that fear God. In the 19th century, there was a British statesman named Benjamin Disraeli. And he was a successful politician enough to twice have been prime minister of the United Kingdom. And he was also a well-known author, and he wrote various works. And one of his fiction works at the time has a character speaking about a perspective of life uh, that simply says in three ways, youth is a blunder, manhood is a struggle, old age is a regret. Youth is a blunder, manhood is a struggle, old age is a regret. And it's a view, isn't it, of life that is altogether bleak, it's altogether barren, it's a view of life and perspective on 
life under the sun, that is quite common. Pessimism, cynicism. What's youth? It's just goofing around. What's adulthood? Trying hard. What's old age? Remembering all the times you've failed. Well, what Psalm 128 wants you to understand is that for those who fear God, who love God, who know God, their perspective is altogether different. You see, verse 2 continues, You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. I wonder what kind of perspective you have on life, bleakness, barrenness, or blessedness. I wonder what kind of perspective on life you communicate when you arrive in a home, your workplace, your school, students, a church like this. One that's reveling in the blessed gifts of God and the joy and gratitude that they fuel. Or perhaps it's little more than sarcasm, cynicism, and pessimism. That seems to very much match the way of the world. So it's fruitful labor that leads to, notice verse 3, a fruitful home. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Of course, these promises of a wife who bears many children that grow around the table, that gather around the table, it of course was something that was uniquely important and valuable to the ancient Hebrew culture, not least of which because that was the sure sign of God's blessedness, but also importantly because that was a sure sign of God's covenant blessings. You might know there's a very important chapter in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 28, which speaks about covenant blessings that belong to those who obey God and, and fear God, and this is one of them. That there will be fruit in your labor, but not just there, but there will be fruit in your home. So it's even probably good here to just press pause on the psalm for a second and, and wonder about this language that seems altogether promising in Psalm 128. Right? Look at the text again, just kind of stare at it, walking your eyes up and down the verses. There's lots of shalls, there's lots of will, there's lots of certainty. And yet some of you might say, yes, I fear God, but I don't have a spouse. Yes, I fear God, but I don't have any children. Yes, I fear God, but I just lost my job and I can't get a new one. What does this psalm have for someone like me? Well, it's important to recognize it is wisdom literature, which certainly I take to not be so much about promising and guaranteeing, but to be telling us about how it ordinarily goes for those who fear God, but not how it always goes to those who fear God. Surely many of you know your Bible well enough that we have countless examples in Scripture of people who feared God and, and lost much. Think of Job, who the text announces at the very beginning of Job chapter 1, that he was a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And yet, in just a chapter's time, what does he lose? All his health and wealth, all his family and fortune. Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, no small number of men and women in church history that feared God that didn't have these blessings. So perhaps it's better for you to recognize that this psalm was written immediately and originally under the Mosaic Covenant that said, if you obey and fear God, these are the blessings that belong to you. That's what Deuteronomy 28 says. But those of us living today, we no longer are under the Mosaic Covenant that receive the same blessings and curses. Recognizing that for those of us in the New Covenant through faith in Jesus Christ, we realize that those blessings and curses were types and shadows of what ultimately comes now. With Jesus Christ. So you might be in here today fearing God, longing for a spouse, fearing God, longing for children, fearing God, waiting for labor and a fruitful vocation. What's well, a text that's reminding you to always cast your gaze ever higher to the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that in his eternal resting place, these promises, these assurances will be yours forever and ever. 
So it is but a vanishing life breath waiting on his promises. But no doubt, many of you are, are in here today and this week, Lord willing, you'll gather around a table and you'll look in the eyes of your spouse. You'll look in the eyes of your children. Some of you can remember in years past, looking in the eyes of your spouse and looking into the eyes of your children. And isn't it again telling us what we talked about last week? Children are a blessing from the Lord. And you're to receive them as such. You know, I remember hearing a pastor once preach, a well-known pastor preach on this passage. and Somewhere about halfway through the sermon, I wondered if he even liked children. Um, he kept calling them ankle-biting sons of Adam. And you laugh, and I weep. Really? That's, and he's talking about his kids. That's your perspective on children. Really? Oh, they're blessings from God. Sure, they frustrate. Sure, they distract. But they're blessings from God. And don't you dare ever speak about it otherwise. Right? Because what we need to know from Scripture is what it tells us. A few things prove the reality of a Christian spirituality, like their view of children. And the reason we know that is because of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9. He has his disciples there, if you know the occasion. They're debating among themselves. Who's great? Who's the best among us? What does Jesus do? Stop some pulls a child to his side. And he says, anyone who receives this child, a child like this, receives me. What he's saying there is, true greatness is found in the humility to love the little children. That's why even there are a number of times across my ministry where I've had men that are eager and zealous to preach the whole counsel of God. And I often want to respond in ways and sometimes have as brother, I, I appreciate that zeal and desire, but have you ever taught children before? And you might be surprised at the degree to which even seminary students will say, oh, I would never do that. To which I respond, you should never preach to a congregation, should you? For Jesus loves the little children. One of the most misunderstood proofs of even a congregation's health is the ease with which the children's director can fill the volunteer schedule for the children's ministry. Not begging and pleading. And I'm grateful that you're in a church where we don't beg and plead for people to serve our children. When was the last time you can remember that someone stood up at that lectern and said, we really need you to serve in the children's ministry. We're so thankful that you continue to do that. But recognize, children are blessings from God. Family is blessing from God. Work is blessing from God. This is a blessed home. Now notice, blessed future. Verse 4. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. I was once doing some preaching and teaching in India. And if you've traveled around the world, you know that different countries handle traffic differently. Uh, we were hurtling about the streets in Hyderabad. And we looked over to our liaison and said, Well, you guys seem to understand green and red differently in this country than we do. And the liaison says, Yeah, sure, in India, they're just suggestions, the streetlights. And then as you watch the relative chaos in the city, you knew that the chaos proved the rule. These blessings, Psalm 128 says, prove the rule, the ordinary way of life in fearing God. Thus shall the man be, the woman, the boy, the girl, everyone who fears the Lord. So that pronouncement of blessing leads to prayer for more of it. Notice verse 5, the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. I hope you see that the psalmist understands God's sovereignty in the blessing. Blessing comes from Him who is Yahweh, the Lord, the blessed and bountiful God. Let Him bless you and where the blessing comes from. Well, 
Zion is what the text says, using the language also of Jerusalem where God sat enthroned in the Holy of Holies. The same thing is true, isn't it, for us today that we know that all blessings come from God. They come from where our Lord Jesus Christ is seated at His right hand. Not, of course, in an earthly Jerusalem, but a heavenly Jerusalem. For them in the Old Covenant to pray for the peace and prosperity of Jerusalem was to pray for the provision and protection of God's people. So for us in this age, it's still, isn't it, to pray for the peace, prosperity, the provision and protection of, of God's people, which is the church of, of Jesus Christ. And it shouldn't be surprising if you understand these psalms rightly and see the thread throughout Scripture that verse 6 comes. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Now kids, whose children are the children? If you understand what Psalm 6 is saying, it's talking about grandchildren, isn't it? May you see your grandchildren. It's always a unique thing to come across a grandparent for the first time. That first grandchild arrives. And they've come back from the hospital holding that first grandchild. And you ask them, how does it feel to be a grandma or grandpa? And you can be sure that the face will light up with a grin that is peculiar in its excitement. They often will say something like, it's the best thing in the world. And what, of course, is the best thing in the world as a grandparent is not just children who walk in the fear of God, but grandchildren who walk in the fear of God, who walk in His peace. No doubt, I trust that many of you in here today, verse 5 and 6, while using maybe different words in your own prayer closet, is a regular prayer of yours. Lord, help my children to love you. And when the grandchildren arrive, Lord, I don't want much. I just want them to love you and to fear you and to know you. Let them know your peace. Because it's peace, it's progeny, it's prosperity that are blessings that belong to fearing God. When John Calvin was preaching upon this text to his church in Geneva, he was telling them that it's a text that called them to conceive of happiness in a way that's altogether different from the world, that thinks about happiness mostly in possessions, in, in pleasure, in, in, in power. And that's certainly true. And as we begin to close, I want to give you three final meditations under three simple words. Simplicity, folly, and generosity. Because what you need to see, first of all, is that Psalm 128, it reorients us to the simplicity of true happiness. The simplicity of, of true happiness, which is found in fearing God, enjoying His blessings. And the reason why I speak about simplicity is because it's very much a countercultural narrative to how the world understands happiness. The surest way that you can figure out that this kind of happiness is not the way the world tends to pursue happiness is just log on to YouTube. Don't do it today. It's the Sabbath after all. But you, you go onto YouTube and see how everything is epic. Epic climbs. Epic travels. Epic hikes. Epic homes. Epic jobs. Epic highlights. Epic events. Or the Christian says... No, what true happiness is, is fearing God and enjoying His simple blessings. Work, home, a heart dedicated to Him. I wonder if your pursuit of such happiness is scripturally simple in the same way. But it doesn't just speak about simplicity of true happiness. It doesn't it also call us to recognize the folly of not fearing God. Of course, you look out on the world today, 
Chaos reigns, division, disorientation in every sphere, politics, homes, schools, workplaces. What is it but nothing more than the consequences and overflow of a biblical truth that there is no fear of God before their eyes? Don't be surprised when divorce rates rise, when alternative lifestyles increase, when casual cohabitation abound, when depression, mental illness, disorder, and difficulty seem to be the ordinary experiences of those who don't fear God. But of course you might be in here today and you would say, oh, I don't fear God. Certainly not in the way this text is talking about, but my life seems pretty good. And it may, from a worldly perspective, be pretty good. But what the Bible says is every single person who has ever lived will one day stand in fear before God. Some people will just stand in fear after it's too late. They'll be made to fear God in the judgment that comes with the final arrival of of Jesus Christ. And I pray that wouldn't be true of you, that you wouldn't fear God before it's too late. That you would come to His Son, Jesus Christ, whose delight was to fear the Lord. That He feared His Father in the ways that you haven't. That He is the Blessed and Holy One of Israel. He's the Prince of Peace who can alone bring that peace to the warring realities that mark your life. See the simplicity of true happiness. See, the folly of not fearing God. Thirdly, finally, grow in your dependence upon God's generosity. Psalm 128 revives our dependence on God's generosity. You know, what should come from a life that understands every good and perfect gift comes down from our Father in heaven, but gratitude and gladness, rejoicing and remembering, Increasing in the fear of God. So perhaps you might be in here today and you do think, you know, I fear the Lord, but I don't have much. Well, let me tell you, dear brother or sister, if you fear the Lord truly, you have everything you need, and it's all found in His Son, Jesus Christ, who is the greatest gift, who has promised to provide for every one of your needs according to His covenant faithfulness. For every promise of God is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Do you want peace? Do you want prosperity? Do you long to be a part of God's progeny? Well, blessed is the one who fears God as he has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we do confess that our fear of you is not what it ought to be. Lord, we ask that you would stoke it to be what it must be, that we might enjoy your blessings, that we might even see this day with eyes renewed in faith and repentance, the manifold ways in which you have bestowed your goodness and grace upon us. To be generous to us this day, as we want to love you and know you, as we want to walk in your ways and fear you always. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.